coming up on the show, The Art of the Pickup. How to meet people, ask them to kill things for you, bring them home, and hope they don't steal your laptop. I'm your host, Andrea Salenzi, and I'll be joined by Laura Mayer, my grandma Phyllis, some dudes in a bar, and more. Stay with us. My heart is beating. I'm just putting together the radio show for this week. This week's episode is all about how we meet people. How's how's online dating going for you? I don't know. I think I write interesting little notes and stuff like that, but one of the, the people I responded to, he loves to watch movies on his computer. He likes to play games on his computer. Something and and so I said, you got to get out from behind your computer, and, you know, into the real world. If the guy can't get himself out from in back of the computer, uh, what do you think he would do if he was in your bed? Hmm. <laughs> 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 hmm. What's your advice for me about meeting people, like? as to be friends or lovers or, you know, whatever, just around town? Be open. Don't think that the, the other person's out to screw you in any way. Not everybody's going to love you. But the old advice, be yourself. It, it takes a long time to know who you are. I'm still not sure that I do know who I am. I know who I'm trying to be. I, I've, I, I've, I have listened to some people spouting on about something, and then after what I have just said, what a load of crap, because I couldn't listen to it anymore. Yeah, um, that's just what I should have said last night. <laughs> um, as an experiment for the radio show, I went to a bar and I put a microphone on myself to see if I could meet people. What are you doing? You waiting for these killer snacks over there? What are you waiting over there? They're snacks. No one told me they're snacks. Uh, empanadas and thin, thin cascade potato chips. No, I'm just like meeting up with a girlfriend, so I'm just waiting for her to show up. And I figured if I were standing there, then I could see her the when she, right when she right walks when she in. Right when she walks in. Uh, I don't know. It was like weird. They tried to get me to go to a hotel with them because their friend John was there with four hot Spanish girls. Hey, we're going to Hotel Chantel. 
Look at them and say, what a crock? Yeah, I wish I'd said that. I actually asked if they were prostitutes, but they said they were actually maids. They were all maids. They made fun of my cell phone case. What? I saw, I saw the Asians on the train with that. Really? Um, only Asians had this, this cell phone case? Got it. They, these might be perfectly nice guys if they weren't in the bar bullshitting each other and you. Yeah, I don't know. I said weird stuff, too. Talk to me like your stepfather. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. He's just... Talk to me like your stepfather. Like, up until now, have you guys ever had, like, a defining moment as friends? I don't live in the Kibben Love. You have, you have a, you have a I am tattoo? not a Bushwick kidster. You have No! It was pretty disgusting, huh? Yeah. So they thought they were the hot shot bar hopper, picker upper kind of guys. Yeah, I'm not going to do it again. No. Or you need a classier bar. Yeah, maybe I should go to a bar in your neighborhood next time and uh, bring you along. It could make a difference. <laughs> I, I, I would do it. I would do it. <laughs> Getting picked up in college is like trying to find someone to help you water plants while living in the biodome. It's not that hard. Sure, there are ebbs and flows in resources, in temperature, soil quality, even in eligible plant waterers, but basically you're trapped in this isolated dome of pleasant homeostasis with only one thing to do, water the plants. Once ejected from the biodome, after four years of sunning yourself on various moist rocks, the pickup process becomes a little more difficult. After my dismissal, I landed in a four-foot by ten-foot lair in the West 40s, a walk-up with a terrible, chronic mouse problem that required me to enact daily mouse genocide. The apartment was above a restaurant, the mice scurrying up into their homes and the apartment's walls at the end of the day, food in their bellies, to reproduce endlessly. I'd watch them scurry across the living room floor while I smoked a cigarette on my fire escape, turning to blow smoke out the window, looking south on 9th Avenue at the Port Authority. Ah yes, in the shadow of the Port Authority, a bad name for a memoir, an even worse neighborhood to troll around area bars, trying to find the post-grad, post-biodome people to do you the favor of killing some mice for you at the end of the night. Exactly 307 paces from my apartment, I counted, and I have a small stride, was a bar called Rudy's. The beer was cheap, and you bought it in $8 pitchers that you can read about from local teens' Yelp reviews. There were also free hot dogs, and though the bar had become an enclave for thirsty graduates nostalgic for the biodome days, the bartenders were actual, real live adults at 40 or so years old, and wore bow ties and collared shirts, either in a nod to what this bar used to be before it was taken over by people like me, or as an inevitable kowtow to a cultivated quirk to set this trash heap bar apart from the other dumps on all sides of it. I spent a lot of my life there, 
in part to avoid living with my vermin friends in the apartment, but mostly in a not-so-thought-out bid to make some easy acquaintances. Rudy's was special in that I felt like I was doing myself a favor by inhabiting an actual physical space, using my voice box to speak with other people when I spent most of my free time alone. And unless you came between the hours of 11 a.m. when it opened to 5 p.m. when people started flooding out of the Port Authority, it's very crowded with people on their way to somewhere, anywhere. The times I was in there during the daylight to retrieve a lost wallet, or that one time I was there on Thanksgiving Day, the inside of the bar looked like the death waiting room in Beetlejuice slumped bodies, tiny heads, women on their journey back home from the Port Authority, slightly green around the gills, wearing sequins and last night's expression. I found Rudy's after googling dive bars while attempting to sleep with someone I went to college with, a week after I moved to New York. There was some sort of iPhone update that week. I remember being shocked that you could see how close to things you were when you looked up something else's location. Significant, I guess, since now I'd never imagine not being able to spot exactly where I am in space at any given time while using my phone or my strengthening common sense. But those were different times, and for the first two years I was in New York and spent all of my free time at Rudy's, I had the 307 paces in my mind back to my apartment, and otherwise I didn't want to know where I was. When the lights turned low and the night was late, and your expectations were never really that high to begin with, it was pretty easy to get picked up at Rudy's which was great for me, because while the ripe biodome from college was over, I did have a new controlled area to inhabit for most of my days, a cubicle, but that wasn't exactly ripe for meeting new people. Rudy's became my surrogate biodome, a controlled kind of loosey-goosey place where people just kept knocking into each other. I once went home with someone, on a Tuesday no less, who told me he liked the way I looked because I reminded him of his mom. I had him kill five mice for me for that. I cried in a booth a year and a half after first going to Rudy's to the same person I first went there with, yelling, love is a myth, and then I called him a sociopath and ran out of Rudy's, going home to kill the most mice I'd ever killed in one sitting, seven. I briefly dated a neighbor because I met him at Rudy's. We broke up in that way where one or both of us stopped calling the other one, and I later ran into him at a Starbucks near my apartment. He told me that he had a gluten allergy now, so he could no longer go to Rudy's and drink beer. It seems that people develop gluten allergies around the same time that they're trying really hard to develop some kind of personal standards for themselves. I knew that Rudy's wasn't a place you should go to on the weekends. During the weekends those first few years, I tagged along with my two roommates, who were both investment bankers and went to Harvard, to these open bar nights at some club in the meatpacking district. Barvard was not pleasant, exactly. One time I promised some guy I'd make a press kit for his upcoming rap single if he bought me a slice of pizza. 
Another time I blacked out after tweeting, co-ed bathrooms? What is this, a Montessori school? The one exception to the no weekend rule was during Fleet Week. Rudy's was equidistant from where the boats docked and from my apartment, so it was swimming with sailors. One sailor named Greg told me again that I reminded him of his mom and that he and his friend would be happy to kill some mice for me. So we left Rudy's and took the 307 paces back to my apartment. As what always happened when I opened up my apartment door, I heard the pained, muffled squeals of three to seven mice stuck to glue traps, their legs broken, their bodies still very much alive. I was happy to have these sailors in my apartment to deal with this chore. What I usually had to do upon coming back to my apartment alone most nights was count the number of dead mice already on the glue traps, grab the same number of fresh traps from underneath the kitchen sink, and blanket each mouse with a new trap. Then I'd grab the one heavy edition of the Encyclopedia Britannica that I had bought on the street just for this purpose and throw the book down on top of the sandwiched mice. That day, two sailors killed those mice for me. Like the 19-year-old gentleman they were, they thanked me for the glass of water I gave them in payment and left my apartment. One Thursday night, I met up with a friend at the Chipotle across the street from Rudy's. Upon asking the checkout person for a bag so I could stuff the remainder of my burrito in my purse, I saw a pile of business cards sitting near the cash register. They read, Juanita Gomez, manager, Chipotle. I asked the cashier if she was Juanita. She said no, Juanita was the manager, and she hadn't met her. I grabbed a handful of the cards and jammed them in my purse, along with the burrito. The last night I went to Rudy's was on the night I moved out of my Hell's Kitchen rat room into a new room in Clinton Hill. I knew that this would be the last time I'd be at that bar, ever the tidy idiot. I wanted a final goodbye. Rudy's, after all, served its purpose for me. It's 307 paces convenience, the vague promise of some sort of human connection, its stable of amateur exterminators. When a man tapped me on the shoulder while I was sitting at the bar and asked me if he could buy me a pitcher of beer, I said I had to go, and I gave him my card. Juanita Gomez hopefully got a call the next day. As for me, I now own two cats, who I pick up, and they take care of my mouse problem in-house. That story comes to us from Laura Mayer. One of the greatest places to meet girls is your local paint store, especially if you live in a city where lots of single girls share dreary old apartments. Girls love to decorate, and one of their favorite ways to brighten up their usually cramped quarters is to paint them gorgeous colors. You'll probably have the most luck if you visit the paint store early on on a Saturday morning, since any girl who's serious about painting her apartment will need the entire weekend to do it. When you see a girl that you'd like to meet, all you have to do is pick out two sample color patches that look horrible together. 
The paint store will probably have hundreds of samples to choose from. Bright green and bright orange are good choices. No one, particularly a pretty well-dressed girl, will think they match. Then say to the girl, How do you think these colors would look in my living room? She may make a little face and try not to laugh. At that point, ask her to help you choose a better combination. She'd probably be delighted. And don't forget, if you feel like it, you can always offer to help her too. She'd probably love to have you help her paint her apartment. This is too much information on WFMU. Benjamin Walker is off getting married in Paris, but when he returns, you can join us for a live episode on Monday, August 26th. More information is coming soon on the TMI playlist page. Joining me now is Dr. Robert Glover, author of No More Mr. Nice Guy. He created a system to tell if a woman is interested in you, and it all comes down to asking her to do something. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrea. It's good to be here. So you call yourself a recovering nice guy. What did your dating style used to look like? Oh, you don't even want to know what my dating style used to look like. When uh, when I was in high school or college, my, my primary dating style was just maybe go sit next to a woman in the classroom and not let her know I liked her and, and just try to be nice. And and hopefully, I thought that if a woman got to know me over a period of weeks or months or years, she would think I was a nice guy and that she would want to go out with me. So it, it was not very refined. And, and typically, by the time I got to college, I, I'd, I'd actually improved to where I maybe would obsess about a woman for several weeks before I would ever talk to her. And then out of the blue, I would walk up, tap her on the shoulder and say, I don't guess you'd want to go out with me tomorrow night, would you? And she'd usually have something else going on and I would never talk to her again. So that, that was my primary dating approach through high school and college. And then once I did get a, a girlfriend, I, I would just stick with them forever because I didn't like that process of having to go start looking all over again. So I never was really a dater. I, if I got a girlfriend, I tended to hang on to the girlfriends until for whatever reason that came to an end. Hmm. So what, what changed for you? When in your life did you have to actually sit down and learn how to date? Well, it wasn't actually sitting down and learning how to date. I had to get up and learn how to date. But it all began about 11 years ago. Um, I was married twice for a total of 25 years. And I now, in retrospect, will often say that I should not have dated either of my wives more than three dates. That's, again, how bad of a dater I was and, and how bad of an ender I was. So when I got divorced about 11 years ago in my mid-40s, I decided that if I was going to have... Uh, a better relationship, one that was really satisfying and, and, and made me happy and was uh, growth producing in positive ways. That two things I had to learn. I had to learn how to be a better picker and I had to learn how to be a better ender. So uh, I started applying principles that I'd already learned in terms of being social and being authentic and, and being assertive as I learned from writing No More Mr. Nice Guy and doing my own uh, work around being a more authentic, um, real person. And I also, you know, read books and listened to podcasts and listened to CDs from dating gurus and pickup guys and, and would just go out and just practice things that I'd heard about or read about. And then I would try to refine them. And I, I now tell people that I, 
in, in many ways, just pretended I was a scientist. And I was just going to go out and try things and, and see what worked. So how, how do you get those phone numbers? How do you um, gauge a woman's interest and, um, be, and make it to that point? Well, I'll give you the, the, the short answer first, and then I'll, I'll answer maybe the bigger question. And, and the thing is, uh, you get a number by telling a woman to give you her number. And when I realized that's all you had to do in many situations, I thought, oh, if I'd known that a long time ago, I would have been doing that a long time ago. But what, typically, you just what tell I her? do... You just, you just tell her to give you her number? I mean, isn't there more? There's more to it than that, right? there, Of course there's more. Like I said, I, I was going to give you the short story and then give you the, <laughs> a little bit more background, but to, to answer the question about how do you get a number, I usually just take out my phone and we've already been conversing and I'll tell you a little bit, I'll back up and tell you a little bit about that, but just take out my phone and say, hey, I've enjoyed talking to you or if there's a common theme in the conversation we've had, I'll, I'll build on that theme and I'll just take out my phone and say, give me your number. I'm going to give you a call in a couple days and we're going to go do this thing or we're going to go meet for happy hour or we'll go get a drink or we'll go take a walk in the park. So I, I just say, give me your number. I, and, I, and when I'm teaching guys, I tell them, don't ask, tell, but do it, you know, in, a, in an engaging way, not in a controlling authoritarian way and have your phone out there and, and just assume she's going to give you a number. And she'll either give you a phone number or say, oh, thank you for asking, but I'm in a relationship, or I don't give my phone number out to men I don't know, or whatever she's going to do. But you increase the odds of actually getting a phone number if you take your phone out and say, give me your phone number and tell her why you're going to call her. So she knows what she's signing up for when she gives you a phone number. So that's the short story of it. The, 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 the little bit longer part, and this is the part that as I went out there with my lab coat on and my clipboard being a scientist, and I'm not saying it was all clinical, I was actually enjoying meeting people and getting to know people and, and creating relationships with women. But a lot of it was just trying to pay attention to what worked. So what I really came up with and what I now teach men and what I actually do in all social situations, not just with, with women I think I may want to date, and I teach men, do this everywhere you go, but I call it testing for interest. And basically, testing for interest is, takes place in three levels. Level one is just social pleasantries. And I tell guys, get out of the house, expand your route, spend time in social situations. I spend a lot of time in coffee shops. I do a lot of my work online while in a coffee shop. And whenever I'm around people, it doesn't matter, man, woman, young, old, I'll say something to them. That's level one testing. And it's usually something like, how's your day going so far? Just something to just break the ice and start a conversation. And it may be if they have shopping bags, I'll say, been shopping. Or I'll make some other obvious statement about something going on around us, the weather, whatever. And most people know you're just being friendly and starting a conversation. Now, I tell the people I work with that, that all you have to observe during the, in these three levels of testing for interest is the perceived interest, how high or how low the, 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 the person you're talking to, how high or how low their interest seems to be in, in engaging with you, having a conversation with you. And I tell the men I work with, don't make it complicated. If at level one, if you say, how's your day going so far? All you're observing is do they have high interest in interacting with you or low interest in interacting with you? High interest would be, hey, I'm having a great day so far. How about you? That'd be high interest. Low interest would be fine, and they look back down to their phone and they send a text message. Now, I tell the people I work with, 
Don't try to figure it out. Don't read anything into it. Don't take anything personally. Don't think you've done something wrong. They just have low interest. Move on. No harm, no foul. And if they have high interest in engaging with you and you have high interest in continuing to converse with them, that's when you go to level two. Now, most people that are just naturally good at being social and having conversations, they don't, they don't think about this. They just naturally do it. And if you watch people that are good in social situations, you can actually watch them going through the three levels. But level two is where the conversation just flows naturally to some shared interest, some commonality, uh, some connection. You know how a conversation just organically sometimes just goes somewhere. That's level two. Now, this is where a lot of social interaction goes to, and that's as far as it goes. You just kind of have a little chit-chat with somebody. Maybe you share something in common. Maybe you laugh at a, a joke, yeah. something going on around you. And that's as far as it goes. And you say, have a great day. It was nice to meet you. Yeah. When I, when I hear about level one and level two, I feel like I've been on the other side of that you know, very often. <laughs> and it feels like, you know, I'll, I'll be on an elevator and someone will say, how's your day going? And it, mm -hmm. it, I, f I feel like of those interactions, almost none, like 95% of them are unwelcome. I, I don't really know how to explain that, but it creates a sense for me as a woman of like being constantly like open to those kind, that kind of attention when perhaps I just want to be on an elevator or I just want to be walking. And, and that's where if, if you don't, if you have low interest in having that engagement, you just demonstrate low interest. You'll probably be uh, socially appropriate. You'll say, uh, it's going fine. Thank you. Thank you for asking. And then you'll probably go back and look at your phone and pretend to be making a text. Yeah, but we know, and, we know men are a little clueless. So they might, <laughs> it might take like multiple ways of explaining that or multiple degrees of body language. And the other thing is like, I feel like there's very rarely like a proper judgment of, you know, I'm 30 years her senior or, um, yeah, she she seems kind of busy right now. I don't know. I just feel like I they te there tend to there should be maybe like a level zero where you like actually calculate your chances here. Um, well, and so let me say a couple things about that because yeah. this is why I teach men to test for interest consciously, and and I tell them this. A couple of other things I'll add to this is number one that there there's no attachment to outcome here. If, if a person has already a predetermined attachment or agenda for starting the conversation, that can feel kind of weird to the, to the person on the other end of that. But if a person just steps into an elevator and you're both just standing there and nothing's happening, they say, how's your day going so far? Or if you're standing in line at Starbucks, if there's no agenda, you're just being social. And, and some people are more social than others. Some people don't like strangers interacting with them. Um, and that's why I tell the guys, if a person shows low interest, don't try to figure it out. Don't worry about it. They just had low interest. Uh, maybe, like you said, in your case, you just didn't want to engage with the person. That's fine. But I also tell guys that by engaging with people, number one, is good social practice. And I believe it makes the world a better place. I think we're wired as human beings to have connections. And we used to be part of a tribe where we had very close connections, now we're very disconnected. I think that's why we get so addicted to Facebook and, and Twitter and emails and text messages and, and chatting on the phone. They give us a pseudo connection. They, they light up the, the parts of our brain that Mother Nature wired to light up when we had connection, but we're not really connecting. So I am teaching men and women because what I'm at, the three levels of interest aren't really about dating. 
and I tell guys this, they're, they're about social intelligence. Hmm. So I'm helping men expand their social intelligence. So for example, if you are in the elevator and a man gets in and he just looks over and says, how's your day going so far? And if he's taken my course <laughs> and, and you say, fine, thank you for asking and go back to, you know, uh, like you say, you give him the body language, it shows low interest. If he's taken my course, he would just smile and he would probably look down at his phone and pretend to text. And when you got out of the elevator, he'd say, have a good day. And that would be it. You wouldn't have to be uncomfortable because he would have paid attention. Do you have high or low interest? And most social interactions never go past level one. Just how's your day going so far? Or have you been shopping? Or, you know, fantastic weather, huh? And it's just being social. And if you show low interest, hopefully they then interpret the low interest and no harm, no foul. But what if, for whatever reason, socially, maybe you're at a party and, and somebody engages you and you engage them and there is a connection and at level two, there, there, there's an interest, and you, you enjoy talking to each other. Now, this could be, you know, purely social. It, does, it is not primarily about dating, but it is what I teach men how to get from level one to level three in terms of if, if things are really going well between them and a person they're talking to. And again, I tell them to practice with everybody. I tell guys, if you wait until you see a woman you find attractive and then decide to go practice your social skills, they're, they're going to come off like those men in the elevator you're talking about. It's going to be awkward and probably inappropriate. But if they've been practicing their skills and observing a person's interest, it's much more organic and natural. So, so let's say, for example, take, get out of the elevator, but let's say this is a person you met at a party. And, and he was paying attention and testing for interest, and you guys were engaging and having a good time. And you seemed to have high interest in engaging with him, and he had high interest in engaging with you. That's when you go to level three. And level three is just where you, you require something of the person. It could be as simple as, hey, let's go get a drink together. Or, you know, give me your phone number. I'll give you a call later in this week, and we'll, we'll go catch a ball game together. Whatever it might be, level threes, you require something of them. Now, this is the ultimate test to find out how high a person's interest is. Because of it, level three is, they're either going to say, well, I appreciate you for asking, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to be really busy for the next few weeks, or thank you for asking, but I've got a boyfriend. And you go, okay, great. Well, just, I enjoy chatting with you, and, you know, and maybe we'll bump into each other again sometime. So, so, so this is the stage where you, you tell a woman to do something. At level three, where you require... Now, this is the same thing true if I'm talking to a guy. In fact, a lot of times if I've been you know, chatting with a guy that I've met somewhere and we find out we both like baseball and like going to the local you know, ball games, you know, and if he seemed like a cool guy that I might want to hang out with, I would do the exact same thing. I would say, well, tell you what, give me your phone number or email. I'll give you a call. Let's meet up and go to a ball game. And again, I would find out, did he have a high interest in, in, you know, connecting again, or was it just a friendly conversation? And that's really the only way to really find out, you know, and this, if you think about it, most of our friendships after high school or college kind of form this way. They're kind of just random connections we happen to make with people, and it just happens to go beyond the random connection. And I would say that most of the friendships I have in my life right now began as somebody I just started a conversation with in a coffee shop or at a bar or anywhere. Most of my relationships are that way. My girlfriend, who I've been dating for four years, sold me shoes at Nordstrom. That's how I met her. And I wasn't trying to pick her up. In fact, when I met her the second time, it was my stepson that told me to get her phone number. And we're dating four years later because I tested for interest. 
what are some other examples of of ways that you can can test there? You talked about the three T's. Okay, three T's is is again men like steps and they like alliterations as well. And the three T's is touch, tease, and tell. Now, this is really challenging for most of the guys I work with because most of the guys I work with are, are socially and dating challenged. That's typically why they're working with me. And, and most nice guys, and maybe I'll need to just define nice guy for a moment too to kind of give you know, the people listening a little background on that. So a lot of the guys I work with are, are, are what I call nice guys. And, and they're kind of passive and pleasing and they don't want to rock the boat and they don't want anybody to be upset with them. So that, that translates to how they interact with women. They're either really passive with women, they won't approach them, or if they do get to know a woman, they quickly fall into what's called the friend zone where, yeah, they listen to the woman talk about her problems and they're there to help her out and, and they might do some fun things together as part of a group. But the man never does anything that would communicate to the woman, I'm interested in you more than just being your buddy, more than just being a friend. And what I found is that, is that men who are naturally good at communicating to women their interests tend to do three things. They tend to touch the woman a lot. They tend to tease her in a playful way. And they tend to tell her what to do. Now, all three of these make nice guys really uncomfortable because they think that will make them, you know, the jerk, the controlling man, you know, the kind of creeper. But again, if you're paying attention and testing for interest, and if you touch a woman on the arm while you're talking to her, just touch her lightly and then take your hand back. And I'd like to be able to demonstrate it, but it's hard over the radio, where you just kind of lean in, touch her arm, make a comment, lean back. If she seemed comfortable with the touch or if she reciprocates the touch in, you know, a moment or so later, okay, those are signs of high interest. But if you touch her arm and maybe she kind of maybe stiffens or kind of pulls back or doesn't touch you again, you just found out that, okay, there might be low interest there. But I found that if a woman has some degree of interest in a guy who they're talking to each other, if he touches her, if he kind of teases with her, is playful with her, and even playfully tells her what to do, you know, come with me, let's go get a drink. Or even, you know, up to the bar and say, tell you what, you buy the first drink, I'll buy the rest. Just, just do something that is kind of playfully engaging, playfully telling her what to do. In my experience, what this does, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to preface this by saying I grew up during the 60s and 70s where I heard a lot of negative stuff about men and about the patriarchy and about the dominance of men. And so I grew up with that. So even this is still kind of challenging for me. But even telling a woman what to do does create somewhat of a dominance. And in my experience, most women feel more comfortable being somewhat dominated if it's done in a loving, playful, considerate way than if the, if the man is passive and forces the woman to make all of the decisions and make all the moves. Now, again, I realize that word has a, a lot of loaded context to it, but in terms of how we're wired typically as men and women um, evolutionally-wise, it, it tends to make a woman feel safe and want to engage if the man is paying attention and not just doing all of these things um, kind of blindly and ignorantly. Hmm. I think your ideas are really compelling, and I want to encourage folks to go to the WFMU comments page, WFMU.org, if you have any feedback or responses to that. But I find the ideas really compelling. I don't know. I don't know how it makes me feel, though. <laughs> I, I like mixed well, feelings as part uh, of this generation. But at the same time, I can think about myself as a woman in that situation if the guy said, um, 
yeah, give me your number. I would find that more compelling than maybe you could give me your number and perhaps we could hang out sometime. There's just something to the language that shows um, a confident interest that I think would be would 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 work more for me in that moment. I, and I like your term, confident interest. And the other piece, and again, even though a lot of the guys I work with have difficulty telling a woman to do something like give me your phone number, I tell the men, if, if you just say give me your phone number, I'm going to give you a call later in the week and we're going to go do this. In a sense, is more direct, is more to the point, and you know what you're signing up for. If he just says, you know, why don't you give me your number? Well, you don't know what you're signing up for. If he just says, can I have your number? You don't really know what that's leading to. I mean, there's, there's actually many questions in your mind you're trying to answer. But if he just says, give me your phone number. I'm going to give you a call later in the week. We'll set up a time to go happy hour, go to a ball game, go do whatever. Uh, go for a bike ride in the park. You know exactly what you're signing up for. And it's a lot easier to make that decision. Do I want to give him my number or not? So at this point in our conversation, I'd like to introduce my friend, Brett. He is joining us here in the WFMU studios and is actually my colleague here at the station. <coughs> Brett, does this sound like you? This yeah. De- this yeah. description? I read, um, it does. Yeah. I read the book, No More Mr. Nice Guy, and I've actually found it very helpful um, in rethinking how to think about things and how to behave also. Yeah. Well, Brett, can I ask you a question? What What did you find the most helpful about reading the book? What What was the thing that most got your attention, or you had the the greatest aha about? Mm. That uh, I need to make sure I please myself and put myself first, rather than try to please a bunch of other people and like you know, like uh, a committee of sorts. Yeah, it's not. A, yeah, it good. shouldn't be a committee. <laughs> good good luck trying to make a committee happy, right? I, I don't know how to do that. So, yes, if you can make a commitment to make yourself happy, and, and that's what mature people do. That's called differentiation is a psychological term for it, where you ask yourself, what do you want? What's important to you? What makes you happy? And then, then hold on to that, even when there's pressure from outside or from people telling you, well, you shouldn't do that. That's selfish or, you know, you can't live that way. Or the pressure inside between your own ears has said, oh, I can't live that way. That makes me selfish. And when I tell guys that one of the things they need to do to be a mature person is to make their needs a priority, I often see the the deer in the headlight look. Oh, no, that will make me a selfish person. And then that's when we have to talk about healthy self-interest and why that's a mature thing to do. I think there's an interesting example of this in the, the young woman you met on the subway the other day. Um, this beautiful young Italian girl that Brett met on the subway. Uh, Brett, well, you, well, do you want how, to tell how that did story? That go, Brett, I'd like to hear the story. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> this. Yeah. I really wanted to ask you about this one, actually. Okay. So. Sure, well, let's go with it. Awesome. Um, it was right after a bad date. One of the, one of the many many bad ones that I have from online. Um, so I'm in the subway. I'm feeling really bad, but I see this cute girl sitting and she's writing in her sketchbook and I also have a sketchbook um, that I write in the same way and I also draw in it mm-hmm. so I sat next to her and I said what are you writing and she sort of looks at me you know there's like a wall up and then I pull out my book too I'm like I'm writing too and I show her my writing and also my drawings and uh, that's, that's I, the old I'll, sh- I'll show you mine if you show me yours thing that works <laughs> Yeah, we're at, we're at level one uh-huh. right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is level one, and actually they, that, that goes to level two. 
because now that he brought out his book, they have a commonality or a shared interest. So they're at level two that quickly. Yeah, I was really, you know, it was going great. I was so happy. We sat together on the subway, and we actually live in the same neighborhood. And uh, so we got off at the same stop. Um, and she actually said, let's hang out sometime. And then, Okay, and that, that's, a, that's a woman showing high interest that a lot of guys just let that blow right by. Like they put up the billboard that says, you know, I have high interest, and, and a lot of guys miss it. Yeah, so um, I got her phone number. And H- How did um, you do that? How did you get her number? What did I do? I don't remember exactly, but I think it was something like, I get, well, I gave her my card, which has my art on it. And I don't know, we were talking. I, I handed her my book. I handed her a pen. I think I might have said, give me your phone number. I love it. Great, thanks. And, yeah. and she did? She did. You know, she actually had like lost her phone. She had a new number, a new phone or something. But uh, And she was trying to figure it out as the doors opened. And I was like, oh, I'll just walk out to the stopway because it's only one stop away from where I live. Good, um, good. Yeah. Um, so then I was like, just uh, text me, right? you know. I th- or she, I guess she came up with this idea that she would text me right then. And so she did. That's great. Yeah. So, so she worked hard to help solve this problem. I like that too. Right? That's great, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, so then I waited, and I was, yesterday I was, like, really tortured. And I was asking different people, like, how long should I wait? Like, what's the, <laughs> what's the correct, what's the correct move I, like, move I should make so I don't mess it up? <laughs> and, and, you, and you heard everything under the sun, didn't you? All, all kinds of different advice, right? Yeah, most people said wait a little while, you know. Um, how, how long and should it, a guy wait? I, and actually, I, I, I give the opposite advice. I know there's a lot of dating gurus out there that say, well, wait, wait, da-da-da-da, this long. But I, I have the actual opposite philosophy. Number one, I, I'm not into playing games and, and kind of posturing the whole thing. You know, if you're interested in somebody, let them know you're interested and follow through. Why, why do we have to pretend like we're not that interested? Now, I'm not saying be needy or, you know, stalker-like, but like, for example, I, I mentioned that that um, my girlfriend sold me shoes four years ago. First time I met her, we talked in level two, some commonality. I was on my way to Mexico, and she said that, oh, yeah, she wanted to live in Mexico part of the year. That was her dream. And I said, well, that's mine as well. So it just chit-chatted. Well, I, I, I went back two days later with my stepson to get him some shoes. She waited on us again, some more commonality. And um, it was my son that said, Dad, get her number. So as she handed me the shoes after I paid. Uh, I told her she should meet me for happy hour later this week. She said, okay. And I said, well, how am I going to reach you? And she said, well, I'll give you my number. So she wrote it down for me. And I, my son said, well, you're not going to call her right back, are you? I said, yeah, I am. So I called her that afternoon. I knew she probably wasn't even home from work yet. I called her, left a message. This is Robert. You know, thank you for the great service you gave me at the store. I'm calling to set up a time so we can go meet for happy hour. So I, I called that afternoon. Because I'm a believer that if a person shows interest in you at a point in time, point of time A, the longer you go from that point of time, the more distracted a person gets by just everyday life. And after a while, whatever created that moment of chemistry begins to fade over time. Now, unless you're Brad Pitt or Mick Jagger and, you know, women are going, oh, Brad Pitt talked to me. He said he would call me. Yeah, then there's probably a lingering chemistry. But... My philosophy is if you're interested, 
call her back within within 12 hours that's my philosophy wow that's 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 great information i appreciate it i i i ended and, up and i'll and i'll say again there's not a right way to do it that's just my personal philosophy mm. yeah i worry about you know like if i make one wrong mistake then bam like i'm going to get rejected or friend zoned immediately well, let's talk about that then, okay? Because that, that really may be what you just said is probably the core issue that most nice guys have with dating. And that is the fear of making a mistake, the fear of doing it wrong. Now, I'm going to say, I'm going to make a kind of a bold statement, and then I'm going to share a few things with that. But here's the thing. If a woman has high interest in you, you almost can't do enough to kill that. Now, you can, but I'm, I'm saying that just to, to kind of put this in your head. If she has high interest in you, you can't, you're not going to kill it. And if she has low interest in you, there's almost nothing you can do to raise it. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So your job is to really find out how high her interest is. And the way you do that is by taking risk. I promise you, you'll never find out how high her interest is by playing it safe. That's what nice guys do. They're all about playing it safe. But I don't care what the endeavor is in life, whether it's, you know, talking to a woman or, uh, you know, a business venture or, or a job interview, that reward is one through risk. You have to be willing to risk. And in my experience, what women keep telling me over and over again, when a man will take a risk, almost any kind of risk, whether it was like you did on the subway, taking your book out, showing her, talking to her. That projects confidence, and, and I've just found that confidence is probably the biggest aphrodisiac for women. Now, I'm talking about a, a genuine confidence, not a bravado, not a cockiness, but a genuine, down-to-earth, authentic confidence. So if you call her right back and say, hey, you know, this is Brett. You know, I enjoy talking with you. I told you I'd call you back. Give me a call. I got a plan. Okay, that's a little risky, but it shows confidence. And Whenever you find yourself wanting to play it safe, you're on your way to the friend zone. So whenever you catch yourself wanting to play it safe, ask yourself, if I wasn't afraid of the outcome, or if I knew no matter what I did, she would like it, what would I do right now? And that gets you out of that, 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 that playing it safe mode into being a little bit more risk-taking and a little bit more adventurous. And I found that the reason in general that women get with men, especially early on, is, is that the man generates some excitement and some fun and some, some uh, energy for the woman's life. And if you're just kind of being nice and passive and not taking risk, you don't create anything for her. You don't add anything to her life. So... Bring, bring that energy that comes from being willing to take a risk and being willing to, to fail and fall on your face. And the thing, one of the key concepts I teach men about dating is something I call being willing to get to rejection quickly. And risk is a great way to find out quickly. Is this going to go somewhere or is it just kind of about as far as it's ever going to go? So risk, that's where, that's where you win. For more information about Dr. Glover, visit nomoremrniceguy.com. When you meet someone in a bar, there's a lot to consider. This often feels like cornering someone for a Meyer Briggs exam over whiskey, trying to figure out how he feels about his mother 
if you have anything to talk about in the morning, and whether or not that person might steal from you. That actually happened to an old roommate of mine back when we lived together. He met a girl in a bar, brought her home to our apartment, and in the morning she was gone, and so was his laptop. What really upset me about the whole thing is that this girl clearly also stole our salt shaker. It was like a really nice salt shaker with like sea salt and a grinder thing. Anyways, I decided I needed to talk to my old roommate about this. So I sat him down to find out the whole story. And he agreed to do the interview as long as we disguised his voice. Now, just a word of caution, uh, the interview didn't really go the way I thought it would. It's kind of mortifying, actually, but you, you'll see. You'll see what happens. The story begins at a bar in the East Village when he noticed a girl's chest. She had like a tattoo of this Chinese wind god on her chest. Cause like, it's like his cheeks are all puffed out and he's blowing and I'm like, oh, he's blowing down your shirt. It's kind of cool. Like he's blowing across the, the tundra sort of, so to speak of your, of your breasts. That's your line. It wasn't a line. I mean, I was just, you know, I was just like saying what I, I was just describing what I was seeing, you know? I don't know. I mean, uh, I have I have some tats as well, so we were talking about that. I don't think anyone actually calls them tats. <laughs> Start that over. Say I call them tats. What are you talking about? I just call them tats. You sound. You just sound stupid. Just don't call them tats. No. Why are you telling me I sound stupid? I want you to come off as cool. They're pretty natty tats. I I agree. I've seen you in your boxers around the place. Okay, They're great. Right. Wait, did she have other tattoos? Well, I'm getting to that, but I was like, you have some seriously natty tats on your tits. And then she looks at me and she says, tit for tat, uh, what are your tats? This is so good. This is like right out of a rom-con. Okay, I feel like you're being a little sarcastic, but... Um, well, then I ordered us some shots. We were going to do like one of those ones that like... I thought you could set bourbon on fire because I thought it would be really fun. Yeah, you can't. And I almost got my sleeve caught on fire. It's kind of funny because it's called the Lit Lounge. Oh, that's true, actually. God, yeah. Yeah, the Lit Lounge. That's right. Yeah, so we're having a, like, a great time. And we're hitting it off. And we're talking about um, she is a dancer who is trying to fund this dance thing she's doing on Kickstarter um, where she dances she gets a troupe to dance in the subway and i'm sort of in to dance as well so i found that very interesting you're not into dance i'm very into like hip-hop break dancing if someone's like doing stuff on cardboard on the street or whatever like i stop and i'll be like all right and i often carry around a piece of cardboard i mean that's before you met me like if i was going to go meet a friend or something someplace i and if i was going to show up earlier if i knew they'd always be late 
bring along my cardboard, spin around, you know, do some, bust some moves and make some cash. Do you think she could have, like, put something in your drink at some point? Like, no way. No, 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 totally not. Did no. you feel dizzy at any point? No. No. Uh, I mean, so you just got normal drunk. I got normal drunk, yeah. And uh, no, I would never, I don't get wasted. I wouldn't have gotten wasted. You get wasted. Not on the, maybe, not on a weekday. And this was a weekday. So you're at the bar. Mm hmm. Yeah. Did she just seem like legit, like she wanted to do it really bad? Yeah, totally. Obviously. I mean, like, why would she come back to my place, right? I mean, you know, like, stuff happened. Uh huh. Like, what? Like, that to me is the story. Like, we hooked up. I liked her. She was into me. This is the real question I've been wanting to ask you. You guys get back to the to our apartment. You're really interested, like, in my in what goes on in my bedroom, huh? No, I'm just saying, d did you guys actually have sex? Or did you just fall asleep and then she stole your shit? Duh, we had sex, yes. I, you sure? Yeah, yes. I think I would know if I had sex or not. Don't you think? This is the thing, though, is that she didn't just borrow your laptop. Like, she took your laptop and your phone and... I brought this up. Our salt grinder was missing the same night. So, like, I think she took the salt grinder. credit cards, yeah. I don't know what, like... I just feel like you shouldn't be bringing girls back to our apartment who are going to steal from us. Yes, That's just what I've been feeling. Yes, mother. As long as we're on the subject, who do you bring home? This has nothing to do with what... Oh, Andrea, do you know, like, the, the sounds that emanate from your bedroom? It's like... Does this sound familiar? Oh, 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 yeah. I can't believe you're saying that. You're, you're talking about your safety? Holy sh! Like, I, I've heard things coming out of your room, honestly. It's like, like the beginning of like a CSI Miami episode. No. Honestly, like one night, you know, Linda, when she stayed over, she wanted to call 911. She was scared. She, she was like saying that I should go up to your room with a baseball bat. That's it. This is, I can't. Well, fuck. You want to like talk? Let's talk. You know. I just don't. I just don't know what this has to do with your story. Like we really should, we should just stay on time. Yeah, yeah. Let's. Yeah, let's stay on it. Do you need another? Yeah. Do you need more? Yeah. Actually, let me just refill you really quick. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Are you repulsed by me? No, of course not. But like, have I? I've never hit on you, right? We roommate. No, but it's like, what what would be easier, you know? But I don't, right? I just didn't think you were into me. It's cool. I've just never gotten that vibe from you because we're roommates. And that's like the roommate code. Yeah, but now we're not roommates. Oh, uh, we talk about that later, right? I'm going to edit that out is what I'm going to do. <laughs> but like, Anyway, uh, all right. So the guys I bring back, like, are people I know and like, a lot of them are people I've worked with professionally. Uh -huh. Yeah, they seem really professional. They sound professional. At least they don't steal from me. Come on. That you know of. Have you, have you checked to see if your This American Life comic book is still on your shelf? At least I still well, have my laptop. You know what? At least I still have my dignity. You need to buy us a new salt grinder. 25. <sighs> the end. You would never imagine that you'd want to pick up a girl at a funeral.
But that's exactly what happened to a friend of mine. A great-great-aunt of his died. She was already more than a hundred years old. My friend barely knew her and went to the funeral out of respect for the family. While he was standing at the cemetery, he noticed a luscious little peach, all dressed in black, standing a few feet away. Well, he tried to concentrate on what the minister was saying, but he couldn't stop looking at her away. And despite the graveness of the situation, he was dying to pick her up. So when the service was over, he walked up to her and said, Let's liven this place up. He knew he was taking a chance getting his face slapped, but he couldn't resist. To his surprise, she smiled a little and told him he was being disrespectful. But that didn't stop her from leaving with him. You're listening to Too Much Information on WFMU. I'm Andrea Salenzi, and I'm going to be filling in for Benjamin Walker for the next three weeks. So join us next Monday and the Monday after that and the Monday after that one. Um, We heard a lot of great music in today's show, including a few tracks from the Free Music Archive, one by Beeks, one by Small Colin, and one by Poddington Bear. We also heard from the album How to Pick Up Girls, which was available over Music for Maniacs. Uh, I have links up on the WFMU playlist page, so check that out. We also heard from Laura Mayer, who told us about her rat-infested apartment in Hell's Kitchen. We heard from my wonderful developer, Brett, um, who spoke with Dr. Robert Glover, author of No More Mr. Nice Guys. We also heard from my grandma and some dudes in a bar. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, Send me an email if you have any feedback. I'm Andrea at freemusicarchive.org. This is WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope, WNYX Montgomery, online at WFMU.org, and in Rockland County at 91.9 FM. Thanks for listening. One night, as you're reading over the front page, you hear a soft, sophisticated female voice asking whether the newsstand carries magazines. Her perfume tantalizes you. You look up. She's an absolute knockout. Without hesitation, you blurt, Wow, you're the greatest news I've seen all day. She won't be able to resist the spontaneity, the sincerity, the cleverness of your compliment. Keep up the excitement if you wish. Thirteen. Oh no, I think my hands have frostbite. 
Can I press them against you to see if I have any feeling left in them? Fourteen. Juicy fruit. On impulse, you reach beside you for a cantaloupe and say, You look like you know about these. Can you tell me if this is ripe? Landmark. Listening to WFMU, and it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there from Oxford, UK, Tallulah Gosh with Beatnik Boy. And today on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with another band from Oxford, UK, Fools. Fools, today on the Nardwar to Human Serviette Radio Show. And to prepare you for Fools, gonna play something by the pastor T.L. Barrett, like a ship without a sail. So, here's Pastor T.L. Barrett and in an interview with Fools, all on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show on WFMU. <laughs> Thank you. 
Who are you? I'm Yanis from Falls. Yanis, welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thanks for having me. Right off the bat, Yanis, I want to say thank you for repping Skinny Puppy all these years. Sweet. You love the pup. Tell me about your repping of the pup over the years. Oh, I got into Skinny Puppy when I was probably 15. I got pretty obsessed with Ogre and the whole cast of characters, Al Jorgensen and Ministry and everything. Um, I think the first track I really got into is Assimilate. Um, but then, like, yeah, I obsessively collected everything. I used to go to a record fair in Oxford and, like, try and scout down the vinyl. And uh, there wasn't really many people where, uh, in Oxford that knew Skinny Puppy. And I wrote Skinny Puppy on my shoes, my school shoes, and people thought it was pretty weird. I love that you mentioned it in interviews. And also, Skinny Puppy are from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah. So I thought I'd further give you a Skinny Puppy CD with some more tracks of the pup. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is like a rarities thing, isn't it? Some of the more older tracks on the Network record label from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Yeah, I know Network. Yeah, they're nice guys. Yanis, is it true that you once got 